It's good to be with you. It's good to have this opportunity to come together and worship. And, you know, this Christmas season, uh, we have been exploring the cast of Christmas, uh, the, the people that are involved in this nativity narrative. We started with the prophets, and then last week we considered Mary, the mother of Jesus. And this week, we'll be thinking about Joseph, the, the man to which Mary was betrothed. Now, we do not learn much about Mary and Joseph's betrothal in Scripture, only that they were betrothed to one another. Last week, we talked briefly about what it meant to be betrothed to someone. And I explained that the process of getting married back in biblical times was very different than the process of getting married today. Uh, so after an arrangement was agreed upon between the, the father of the bride and the father of the groom, then they came to a negotiation, and once that was settled, then um, they would make a public pronouncement of the betrothal. And unlike an engagement today, once a couple is betrothed, they are considered legally bound to one another. Um, even though they've not yet consummated the marriage, they were husband and wife in the eyes of the law. Uh, so Mary and Joseph were husband and wife when the, when the angel appeared to Mary and communicated to her that she was going to conceive a child through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, there is a, a professor at Moody Bible Institute. Actually, he's the chairman and a professor of the theology department there. His name is Dr. Uh, Louis Barbieri. It, he mentions this in one of the commentaries that he wrote. He said, after the betrothal was accomplished, the individuals were considered married and were called husband and wife. They did not, however, begin to live together. Instead, the woman, in, uh, the woman continued to live with her parents and the man with his for one year. Now, <laughs> we, we've always counseled people uh, don't have a long engagement because it's very difficult to have a long engagement. But they've gone through the process, the, the, the ceremony, if you will, of being known as husband and wife, and now they have to live separately for one year. Uh, the waiting period had to be difficult. But... Dr. Barbieri goes on and he says that the waiting period was to demonstrate the faithfulness of the pledge of purity given concerning the bride. If she was found to be with child during this period, this one year period, she obviously was not pure, but had been involved in an unfaithful sexual relationship. Therefore, the marriage at that point could be annulled. However, the one-year waiting period, he goes on to say, demonstrated the purity of the bride. The husband would then go to the house of the bride's parent and have a grand processional march to lead his bride back to his home. And then they would consummate their marriage physically. So for Mary... To conceive a child during this one-year betrothal period was scandalous. And we talked about that last week. It was a scandal that she would be with child, having never known a man. 
But that was how God chose to work out his timing in this. Now, whether the husband or the family or the friends believed the story that Mary had told them about what happened and, and how it had happened, we do not know uh, what all of the people around her know or knew at that time. We're fairly certain that her parents were aware of her situation. That's why Mary was sent down uh, as it said, hastily to their relative's house, Zechariah and Elizabeth. They sent her away when they found out that this was a possibility of what was going on. We don't know if the rest of her family knew the reason for her sudden departure, but we can assume that Joseph was aware of what was going on. Now, ladies, I don't have a lot of experience with this, but you do. Um, you know, the pregnancy is divided into three uh, trimesters, right? You have the, you know, the things that happen in the first, the second, and the third trimester of a pregnancy. In the first trimester, there's not a lot going on as far as the eye can see uh, in, in a woman's body. It, now, I, I hear that there's a lot going on inside, uh, I, but, but looking at a, a woman who's pregnant... You wouldn't know it in the first trimester. But after that, of course, it becomes much more obvious. You know, I can imagine that as, as the Holy Spirit of God came upon Mary and she conceived the Christ child, you know, there's probably something in her. She knew something had happened. She knew that things were going on inside of her, but she couldn't actually see any evidence of what the Lord had told her had happened. And so I can imagine that she may have had moments of doubt. She may have thought, was this all my imagination? Did an angel really appear to me? Am I truly carrying the Messiah in my womb? Well, all of those doubts were crushed when she encountered her relative, Elizabeth, who said to her, when she came to the door in, at their house, she said, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Immediately, she had that confirmation, that affirmation that she wasn't crazy, that this was real, that she was truly carrying the Son of God. But I wonder, what's happening with Joseph while she's down there with Zechariah and Elizabeth? Joseph's still up in Nazareth, several days' journey away. What's happening during these three months that Joseph was gone? What was he thinking? How was he feeling as he dealt with this? Now, just frankly, I cannot answer these questions definitively, but we can deduce some aspects of the situation back in Nazareth based on what we find in Matthew chapter 1. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. We'll be looking at that in just a moment. Or, of course, if you prefer, you can use the YouVersion Bible app and the interactive study notes that we have there. Uh, under the events page, um, you can 
scan the QR code in our worship bulletin and that will take you directly to that. But we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 1 and honestly what we're looking at is very little information. Um, just eight short verses that we'll be considering today. Joseph, Mary's betrothed, had made a difficult decision for his life and for his future. And that's what we find here in the, in the very uh, first verses of this. We find that he had made a decision about what he was going to do with this situation of his betrothed Mary. But God chose to intervene by sending one of his messengers to inform Joseph of vital details about the situation before he did something that he could not back up from. Before it was too late, he wanted to let Joseph know what was actually happening. So let's read in Matthew chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 18 to see exactly what Matthew says about the birth of the Messiah. In verse 18, the Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet when the prophet saying, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So this morning, as we consider this next cast member of our nativity narrative, I want us to look at four different things that we learn about who Joseph is and what Joseph did and why he was an important part of this process. The first thing that we notice in these verses is that Joseph was a righteous man. He was a righteous man. It says in verse 19, and her husband... Again, betrothal, already husband and wife, and her husband Joseph being a just man. That word just is the same word as righteous. That's why when we talk about the, the doctrine of justification means to be declared righteous. And so he was a righteous man. This word used to describe a person, this word is used to describe a person who was upright, virtuous, or a man who was keeping the commands of God. In other portions of scripture, this word carries with it the idea of an upright person, uh, that the upright person is one whose way of thinking, feeling, and acting 
wholly conforms to the will of God. So a, a righteous person is someone that is attempting to do what God wants them to do. So that's how Joseph was described. He was a just man. You see, the idea behind this in verse 19 was that because of the kind of person Joseph was, it was inconsistent with his uprightness to expose his betrothed to public reproach. And that's why it says, unwilling to put her to shame. He did not want to shame Mary, but from all evidence, Mary had shamed herself. He knew that he had never been with this woman, his wife. He knew that he was pure, and yet here she was with child. He loved her. He had every right to expose her for being an adulterer, but he loved her. I mean, how else could the pregnancy be explained? Put yourself in Joseph's feet. That's not right. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. How would he, I'm glad y'all are still awake. That's awesome. But how would you feel if your betrothed, if you knew that you were pure, how would you feel if your betrothed was expecting? There was no other explanation in his mind, but he loved her. And he did not want to see her disgraced, so he extended mercy to her. Now remember, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Right? Mary deserved punishment according to the law of Moses. Mary's punishment should have been stoning. An adulterer by law was to be stoned by the community. Stoned to death. Rocks thrown at them until they were dead. Joseph didn't want that for Mary. No matter how much she had hurt him, he didn't want that for her. So he was exhibiting the loving character of God with de in dealing with her by being merciful to her. I wonder today, which characteristic of God do we imitate more? Do we imitate his mercy or his wrath? The fact is, is that God is a merciful God and God is a God of wrath. He's called us to imitate him. Which one are we imitating more? You know, sometimes, folks, the right thing to do is to overlook someone's fault and just simply extend mercy to them. And that's what Joseph was trying to do here. He was a righteous man. And he wanted to show mercy to his betrothed. So I want you to do this. Take a moment. Right now, just in, in your mind, ask God to remind you if there is a situation in your life that you should have shown mercy to someone, in, but instead you showed wrath toward them. You know, unfortunately, um, 
we might only have to think back to our drive to church this morning uh, to, to have that experience. Um, but think about that. Is there a situation that, that I've dealt with recently where I should have been more merciful, but instead I was hard-nosed and wanted, <laughs> wanted lightning to come down from heaven and strike the people, you know? Um, if there's a situation in your mind that, you're, that you can think of and say, ah, yes, that was, that was something I dealt with. I wonder this morning, is there a way that you can make that right? Is there somehow that you can reconcile with that person? Is there something you can do to make your relationship right with them? To go to them and apologize for not being more merciful. You say, well, I'm not going to do that. Well, maybe you should consider it. Joseph was a righteous man. He did not want to put her to shame. So he determined in his heart, he resolved to divorce her quietly. You see, Joseph was a righteous and merciful man, but he was also a principled man. He was a principled man because that second half of verse 19 tells us that even though he did not want to shame her, he knew what had to happen. He determined, he resolved to divorce her quietly. You see, showing mercy to someone is not necessarily a free pass with no consequences for their actions. Joseph re was resolved to divorce her because of his principles. He knew that it was the right thing. She had defiled herself and therefore he had to follow through with this. He didn't have to be ugly about it, but there were consequences. He knew that he had not violated Mary, causing her to conceive a child. So she must have been with another man. She must have lain with another man. There was no other explanation in his mind. I mean, he must have thought, what other explanation could there be, right? No other time in human history has this ever happened. Why do you think it was an easy thing for Joseph to just say, oh, oh, that's cool, yeah. Even though they had not yet consummated their marriage, by law, they were husband and wife which meant that Mary must have committed adultery. So how could he stay with this woman who had betrayed him? But see, here's the issue. He was a principled man and he knew that there had to be consequences. But if he were to go to the elders of the community and he were to tell them that Mary has conceived a child as a result of adultery, there would be a death sentence waiting for her. So what could he do? How could he avoid that? Well, instead, maybe, he planned to go to them privately. And he could simply explain that, you know, Mary had gone to live with family near Jerusalem. They had announced their betrothal, and then it was very quickly thereafter that she left. She abandoned him. Now they weren't married or they weren't living together in the same home. She was 
still in her parents' home, but by law, that was what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to wait a year. He in his parents' house, her in her parents' house, and then after a year, they would come together and consummate that marriage. But she had left. She had abandoned him. So maybe she, he could go to the elders and say, she has deserted me, and therefore I want to divorce her. You know, it, it was absolutely true that everyone in Nazareth was aware of her departure after the betrothal. It was a small town. Everybody knew that Mary had left. This would be an easy thing to sell to the elders. This solution would, would humiliate Mary. It would humiliate her family. But at least his beloved Mary would not be punished and killed by stoning. So he, he resolved in his heart that this is what I need to do. He loved her and he'd rather deal with the emotional anguish of shame and humiliation than see harm come to her. You know, folks, making this stand that Joseph did on the principles of God's word had to be one of the most difficult decisions he had ever made. He loved this woman and yet he knew this is what had to happen. You know, standing up for principles today is a rare commodity. Joseph was a kind-hearted man. And even though he was hurt by everything that was happening, he did not want to hurt Mary. That's how I know he loved her dearly. Because folks, hurting people hurt others. It's not just a saying, it's real. When you're hurting, you lash out and hurt others also. Because there's just, I mean, you've heard the saying, misery loves company, right? If I'm hurting, I want you to hurt too. Because why should you be okay if I'm not? That's the mentality that, that sits within each one of us in our sinful nature. So hurting people hurt others. But here, Joseph, he did not want to hurt Mary. In spite of these feelings, in spite of his deep love for her, though, he decided to do the right thing. He decided to stand up for the principles of God's law. But fortunately, Joseph was also an obedient man. Notice what we find in verse 24. It says, when he woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He obeyed. You see, knowing his resolve, the Lord sent an angel to speak to Joseph in a dream, revealing to him the true nature of Mary's pregnancy. So let's notice what the angel said to him in this dream. If we, you know, we've already read it. Uh, here in verses 20 through 23. But to summarize, there are several things the angel said. Number one is, he said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. This went against everything culturally that, that he knew to be. Here was this woman who had betrayed him. A woman who had defiled herself. He would not want anything to do with her according to cultural standards. 
But the Lord said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Why? Well, he went on and the angel said, because this baby that was conceived was conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit. She wasn't defiled, Joseph. It was God who placed this baby in her womb. And by the way, it's a baby boy, he said. And by the way, you need to name him Jesus. Why Jesus? Because he will save his people from their sins. You see, this wasn't just an ordinary baby. Although babies are pretty awesome, aren't they, Sharon? Yeah, yeah it's good to see you. Babies are awesome, but this, was, this goes beyond the awesomeness of regular babies. This baby was born with a purpose. This baby was going to provide salvation for the whole world. So he said, name him Jesus. And then I love what the angel did next. Because Joseph was a godly man, he reminded him of the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah 7.14 tells us that, well, it tells us exactly what it says here. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. He was reminded of the prophecy, and then he was told that this baby would be the embodiment of God himself. Well, once Joseph realized that Mary had not betrayed him, and that the child was conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit, what did he do? He obeyed God. It was a simple decision. He obeyed God. You know, I think it's important for us to notice the immediate change of heart that took place here with Joseph. Because this wasn't just something that, you know, one day he found out and the next day Mary uh, left and then the next day the angel appeared. It didn't work that way. It, that wasn't the timeline of the events that took place. You see, he found out from Mary that she was with child and then she left and she was gone for three months. What was he thinking during those three months? What was he feeling? How deeply rooted had those feelings of betrayal come in his heart? How much was he hurt by what had happened? I think he had been struggling with this decision for months. And finally he resolved, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to divorce her, but I'm going to do it quietly. It was unheard of for a betrothed woman to leave her husband during this one year time of purity. When she should have been making preparations for her wedding day. Instead, Mary ran away. What was he to think all this time while she was gone? All his anxiety, all of the issues that he was dealing with, the things that he was feeling, all of that was taken away when he chose to believe 
the message of the Lord's angel and to obey, to do what the angel instructed him to do. So I ask you today, how receptive are we to God's leading? In our situations that we face day to day, how receptive are we to hearing the voice of God and knowing what God wants us to do? You know, I think all of us in, in our different ways, some of us are more meticulous and some are, are more fly by the seat of your pants, but all of us make plans for the future. We have ideas of what we think we need to do and how we need to do it. Joseph had those plans. He had his plan worked out. He was resolved. And yet, when the Lord came and spoke to him, he listened and he changed his plans. How receptive are we to God's leading? Especially when it goes against the plans that we've already made. Are we rigid and stubborn, unwilling to yield our lives to the Lord? Or are we open and teachable, trusting the Lord to guide us daily? You know what, folks? The Lord continues to speak to us here even today. Now, it might not be in a dream or in probably isn't going to be through an angel because he has something much better than that that he speaks to us through and that is his word he speaks to us through his word he speaks to us as the holy spirit communes with our spirit as we keep in step with the spirit day by day he he uh, speaks to us through his people Godly people speaking into your life, a council of advisors that are godly people is vital for your life. God never intended for you to walk through this life and live for him in isolation. He wants you to have interaction with one another. That's why I believe our community groups are so important. It gives you that space to be able to interact uh, in, in a special way. And don't worry, Brother Steve, we're going to start back right after the first of the year. I know you do. He speaks to us through his people. But you know what? He also speaks to us at times through circumstances. We have to remember that he is in control of those circumstances. When God chooses to speak to us, he does so purposefully. He's speaking to us in order to teach us the truth. It might be truth about himself. It might be truth about myself or ourselves. Or it might be truth about someone else. But he's, he's speaking to us to teach us truth. He also speaks to us in order to transform our lives according to that truth. He wants to transform us to be like the image of Christ, to be like Jesus. He speaks to us to teach us the truth, to transform us according to the truth, and he, he speaks to us so that we can communicate that truth to others, so that we can be that council of advisors, the godly people surrounding another believer, helping them in their day-to-day -day walk with the Lord. God speaks 
to us even today. Are we listening? Well, the last thing I want us to notice about Joseph is this, and that is that Joseph was a virtuous man. And this is very similar to the idea of being righteous. But I think it carries with it just a little bit different uh, understanding when we talk about him being a virtuous man. You see, Joseph was now resolved not to divorce Mary quietly, but now he was resolved to do what was best for Mary, his betrothed. You know, I read earlier from Dr. Louis Barbieri's commentary notes, he said that he violated all custom by immediately taking Mary into his home rather than waiting the one year time period of uh, what rather than waiting till the one year time period of betrothal had passed that's what it says here in verse uh, 24 he said he woke up did as the angel of the lord commanded him he took his wife literally it means that he he brought her into his home and he began to provide for her and to care for her. But it says, he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. Matthew tells us twice here in this short passage that Mary and Joseph had not been intimate. Verse 18, he says, before they came together, she was found with child. Verse 24, 25 says, he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. You see, folks, Joseph did what was right, forsaking his fleshly desires and followed the instruction of the Lord given to him through the Lord's angel. He was a virtuous man. You know, we could learn a lot from Joseph and his example in this situation. Such as doing the right thing and doing the easy thing are seldom the same thing. What he did, how he obeyed God, was not an easy thing. It went against everything within the culture. But he knew it was the right thing, and so he did it. How often? Do we struggle with that? Another thing we can learn from Joseph is that putting the needs of others first requires commitment and discipline. The timeline's a little bit fuzzy. But we know that probably uh, at the time when he took Mary back, or took Mary into his home, she was at least three months pregnant. Maybe a little more. Um, so it was six months later that she gave birth. And we're going to talk about that birth next week when we, when we talk about the, the shepherds um, as we celebrate our Christmas Sunday together. So it was at least six months that she was together. And then there was the time of purification for a woman after birth. And so what we know for sure is that there was a, an extended period of time where he was living with this woman, the love of his life, taking care of her every need, and yet 
He did not give in to his fleshly desires. That requires commitment. That requires discipline. We could learn that from Joseph. Another thing we could learn from Joseph is that we need to be open to hearing from God about the decisions that we make in life. You see, he had made a decision. He was resolved to do this certain thing, but then God spoke. Folks, before you make any big decision in your life, you need to make sure that you're taking time to listen to the voice of God. Taking time to make sure that this is God's will for me. One last thing that I think we can learn from Joseph is that when others hurt us, we need not lash out to hurt them. Don't hurt other people because you're hurting. Extend that grace and extend that mercy to them. You know, Joseph may not have been the father of our Lord Jesus, but he was a godly man worth emulating. Had it not been for Joseph's faithfulness and obedience to the Lord and his instruction, Mary could have found herself facing an angry mob ready to stone her for her adulterous behavior. So I wonder this morning, what is God asking you to do in order to be known as one of his faithful followers as well? I titled this message, Joseph the Faithful One. Because he was faithful when in, when in all appearances, Mary had been faithless. Well, we know that she was faithful. And we know that God is faithful to us. I wonder this morning, what is God asking us to do in order to be faithful to him? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for our time together, and I thank you for uh, this example from your word of, of what happened in, in Mary and Joseph's life. Lord, I thank you for his willingness and his obedience to follow you. And so, Father, now as we consider his example, I just pray, Father, that you would help us to see how we need to change to become the faithful follower that you've called us to be. Father, we thank you for sending your son to be among us. Thank you for Emmanuel. And thank you for the purpose in, that he came to, and was born into this world. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins that we find only through his death, burial, and resurrection. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, and we pray these things in his name. Amen.